The Civic Circle is a youth-led podcast by the Bucks County Beacon tackling politics and policy from a Gen Z lens. I'm your co-host, Sarah. I'm Mallory. And I'm Alexandra. And we're all students from Bucks County, Pennsylvania, chatting about activism, advocacy, and all the political happenings affecting our generation today. We're focusing on PA politics and want to serve as a call to action for all young people to get involved in the civic process and demand change. Welcome back to the Civic Circle. We hope everyone had a great holiday season. January is Anti-Human Trafficking Month, and today we wanted to tackle the issue of human and sex trafficking, what kind of legislation is happening across federal and state governments, and how young people can play a role in advancing this movement. Before we dive in today, we quickly want to give a shout out to Project Protect Our Children, also known as PPOC, who brought this problem to our attention. We'll be doing an interview later in this episode with Krista Mayfield. She's the director of operations for PPOC, and she helps run the incredible youth action boards, and they look to increase youth engagement in human trafficking advocacy. So first, let's start off by defining what human trafficking is. So people typically think that all human trafficking involves commercial sex, and that point has only really been exacerbated by movies like Trafficked or, you know, random Criminal Minds episodes. But in reality, human trafficking is use of force, fraud, or persuasion to get another person to provide labor or commercial sex. Worldwide, experts believe that there are more situations of labor trafficking, actually, than of sex trafficking. However, because of things like the media, like I mentioned before, there is a much wider awareness of sex trafficking in the United States than of labor trafficking. People also assume that human trafficking is typically done through physically violent means. We see this perception through the human trafficking prevention devices and videos that have been spread across the internet. For instance, if you go on TikTok and search for human trafficking prevention tactics, you'll see people telling you to check underneath your car before you get to it or to lock your doors as soon as you get into your car. While these are great techniques, most human traffickers use psychological means such as tricking, defrauding, manipulating, or threatening victims into providing commercial sex or exploitative labor. In most media that human trafficking has been shown in, the victims are usually portrayed as female. However, a study done by ECPAT USA estimates that as many as half of sex trafficking victims and survivors are male. Advocates believe that the percentage um, probably is even higher, but unfortunately, male victims are far less likely to be identified. And it's important to note that LGBTQIA plus boys and young men are seen as particularly vulnerable to trafficking. And movies like Taken have made us all believe that human trafficking is done to remove the victims from their homes and sell them elsewhere, but... Truly, human trafficking is often confused with human smuggling, which involves illegal border crossings. But the crime of human trafficking does not require any movement whatsoever. Survivors can be recruited and trafficked in their own hometowns, even in their own homes. It also may be assumed that those being trafficked cannot physically leave their situations. But in some cases, people in trafficking situations stay for more complicated reasons. Some lack the necessities to physically get out, such as transportation or a safe place to live. Some are afraid for their safety. Some have been so effectively manipulated that they do not identify at that point as being under the control of another person. Although people may think of underdeveloped or overexploited countries when they think of human trafficking, labor trafficking often occurs in the United States and other countries that are known as developed. Um, but it's usually reported at lower rates than sex trafficking. We've seen abduction scene after abduction scene in most movies about violence against women. However, many survivors have been trafficked by romantic partners, including spouses, and by family members, including even parents. So what's the status of human trafficking legislation in Pennsylvania? 
Well, Act 105 is the most comprehensive state law on human trafficking in Pennsylvania. It provides an in-depth, comprehensive legislation on prosecution, prevention, victim protection, evidentiary confidentiality, limitation of actions, victim impact statements, and classification of offenses. Safe Harbor is another important piece of state legislation that highlights victim-centered criminal justice reform. So there are four primary components to this law. The first one is to protect and not prosecute child victims. Um, So minors are granted protection for different crimes and alternatives for human trafficking related offenses. The second part is to empower state agencies um, to support child victims by providing things like specialized services. And thirdly, um, police are trained to identify and help child victims, including methods to identify, interview, and assist trafficked children. And lastly, a fund is established for victim services and awareness. Pennsylvania is also acknowledging Human Trafficking Month. Recently, on January 11th, Pennsylvania Attorney General Michelle Henry announced the launch of their human trafficking section for the Office of the Attorney General. This will improve statewide investigations and prosecutions of human trafficking-related cases, as well as provide support for victims. This new section is led by Chief Deputy Attorney General Heather Castellino. The office actually announced it will take a multidisciplinary approach to tackle human trafficking and work closely with local, state, and federal agencies. The section will also continue education and outreach on the topic, participate in conferences, symposiums, and presentations of case studies, and provide training on how to recognize signs of trafficking. It's really wonderful to see um, Pennsylvania take such comprehensive steps to acknowledge human trafficking. Now we'll move on to an interview with Krista from Project Protect Our Children, an organization focused on human trafficking, education, and empowering young people to take action on informing their communities. Krista, thank you so much for coming onto the Civic Circle today. Can you tell us a little bit about yourself and why you chose to work with Project Protect Our Children? Yes, thank you guys for having me. It's an honor to be here. So I have been working in the anti-human trafficking field for the better part of a decade. I am 30. And so when I was pretty young, um, right out of college, I started volunteering in the anti-human trafficking space and never left. <laughs> I got a job and just kind of continued to move forward from there. I've done everything. So everything, I was part of a small nonprofit that grew over you know, the period of about seven, eight years. And so I did social media management, volunteer management, direct service with people coming out of trafficking situations, But most of my work ended up being in the education space. So training audience of all ages and all backgrounds on what human trafficking is, what it looks like, how it happens, and what they need to know to keep themselves and the people around them safe. I have spoken to 30,000 plus students and would get on stage at, you know, like high school assemblies and talk at students for like 45 minutes and then leave. The bell would ring. They'd grab their bags and walk out. And I was like, did that actually do anything? So when I was offered this position with Project Protect Our Children, I was excited because I I wanted to see something shift in the way that we were engaging with youth on this topic. Um, and that is what PPOC is all about. We are about youth empowerment and really engaging, um, educating, but then bringing students in to be part of the solution, not just talking at them like, oh, you guys are at risk. So we need to like you know, give you all the warning signs kind of thing. Thank you for sharing. So what does the human trafficking legislation or policy scene currently look like across America? Like, are there a lot of people tackling this issue? 
Absolutely. Um, and it's definitely going to vary depending on what part of the country we're talking about. There are some kind of classic trafficking hotspots, if you will, that are known for a lot of trafficking, and those areas might have more concentrated efforts or focus. Um, but we know that trafficking happens in every state. It happens in rural areas, suburban areas, urban areas. It ranges from, you know, our most impoverished communities to our most well-off. Um, we are seeing human trafficking happening everywhere. Um, and so every state is going to have a different you know, a different policy and legislation scene. But I wanted to mention kind of what a big topic that we are discussing on a national level, and that is the equality model versus full decriminalization. Are you guys familiar with those topics? No, not at all. Perfect. Okay. So there are two main conversations when it comes to how should we be viewing the sex industry in general? Full decriminalization says, essentially, let's legalize the sex trade. Um, let's make everything legal. It all goes. And the theory behind that is, well, if it's legalized, then it can be regulated and then it will be safer. The other side is what's called the equality model or sometimes called the partial decrim or the Nordic model or the other names you might hear. Um, and what that says is decriminalize the selling of sex. In other words, a prostituted person is now not a criminal. They are a victim. So there's still a crime happening, but the person selling or being sold is not the criminal. And it does criminalize anyone who would profit or benefit from that person's sale. So in other words, sex buyers, pimps, madams, brothels. This is a really important conversation because at the moment, prostitution is still illegal, which means that if you are being sold for commercial sex, then you are technically a criminal. Now, depending on the jurisdiction, law enforcement is changing their game. So here in my area, most of the time, law enforcement has completely stopped arresting people for selling and they are engaging with them to help get them services. But they're kind of, you know, taking it into their own hands to adjust their approach, whether than it being the actual federal statute and the way that our law is written. And I think it's really important to distinguish between those two and understand that survivors and people that have been exploited within the sex industry, people that have worked in the sex industry are saying, hey, this, you know, equality model is would be the most helpful thing for us. Um, to fully decriminalize means that um, exploiters and traffickers and pimps and buyers are all, it's a free-for-all, essentially. Um, and that just doesn't offer the same level of protection. Um, and we know that even if we were to do our best to regulate it, this industry is just by nature exploitative. It just can't be helped. It is violent in nature. And we have seen it in countries that have fully legalized the commercial sex industry, um, we're not seeing a decrease in human trafficking. We're seeing an increase in people that are being trafficked because there's more demand for the purchase of commercial sex. So just, I think in general, when we're doing anything on policy, listen to survivors, listen to people who have lived in this space um, and don't jump on a bandwagon because it's on the cover of a magazine or it's a hot button issue. Really listen to people's stories 
because it's their voices that need to be heard and it's their account. I mean, they are the experts, you know, in their experience. We want to listen to that. Absolutely. And thank you so much for bringing that to our attention because I have not really learned a lot about that um, anywhere. So our next question for you is, um, what should people know about human trafficking that isn't necessarily well-known or taught? I guess you kind of just talked about that, but I don't know if you have anything else to add. You know, when I when I talk to students and I start my presentations and I say, hey, how many of you are familiar with human trafficking? Everyone raises their hand. And then I ask, okay, well, what, what do you know about trafficking? What have you heard? Um, and they'll start kind of spitballing some things that they've heard, read on social media. And I get a lot of this. I get a lot of you know, well, I look underneath my car in a parking lot so that I don't, you know, someone could be under there and snatch me. Or um, I really watch for my surroundings. Or I know, well, I look out for zip ties on my windshield. Essentially, what people are saying is, I know what human trafficking is. It's when somebody, you know, snatches you off the street and then, you know, sells you in some deep, dark alley. And unfortunately, that's just, it's not that it doesn't happen. It's that that is the most rare way that trafficking happens. Most of the time, trafficking happens in relationships. Human trafficking is a form of abuse. It's abuse with a purpose, and that purpose is profit. And so just like abuse takes place in relationships, human trafficking will take place in relationships. And so we see this happen in families, in romantic relationships, in friends, in you know employer-employee relationships. And what happens is that the person who's being trafficked doesn't realize that they're being trafficked because they think trafficking is kidnapping. And they're like, well, that didn't happen to me. Um, so they think, you know, I'm just in a bad situation or they've been groomed and manipulated to think that they want to do this. They want to be here. I heard a webinar from World Without Exploitation's Youth Coalition. And one of the leaders said this amazing quote. She said, if you cannot say no without there being any consequences, then that's not consent. And so when it comes to anything involving sex or commercial sex, it's not just consent isn't just a yes. Consent is if I can't say no without there being a, a negative consequence that I'm trying to avoid, then I actually don't have consent. And that's what we see in trafficking is that they think they're consenting or they think they want to do this. But what they're really saying is, I don't want to get hurt. I don't want to be put out on the street. I don't want to go to bed hungry tonight. And so I think it's our job to really understand the implications of why someone would end up in a situation like that and what they really need to not just get out of that one situation, but then live a life where they can regain their autonomy. Exactly. I feel like the extent I learned about it in school was the typical look under your car, um, someone might snatch you up. I never learned like the other forms that it could happen. And speaking of like learning it in school, when it comes to young people and teaching them, um, what role do young people have to play in combating human trafficking? And speaking about your organization and your youth action boards, I was wondering what type of role they play in it and what sort of work have they done so far? Absolutely. So this is where I get excited because, you know, traditionally we have talked about prevention. We want to prevent trafficking before it starts. And so there are a lot of programs. Uh, across the country, these educational things where we might come into schools or we're talking to students and saying, hey, watch out for, you know, these types of relationships, these types of red flags. Here's a number to call. Here's how to get help. But really the underlying message there is you are all in danger. We're going to like arm you with knowledge and resources and good luck out there, essentially. 
And what we realized, what PPFC, my organization realized was, well, wait a minute, don't, if students are the ones being targeted, don't they have a, a say in this? Don't they actually have more power to affect change among their peers? And so our approach is an empowering one where, yes, we're going to talk to students about what human trafficking is, but then we're going to say, here's the knowledge and tools, not just to watch out for strangers and then go on your way. Here's the knowledge that you need to know so that you can make a difference in your school, in your community. Here's what you guys can band together and look out for. Here's the ways that you can spark conversations in your school and ask really hard questions. Who's vulnerable in our community and why? I'm, I think about this in a high school setting, you know, like are there cliques and relationship drama that would make people feel isolated and alone that could lead them into these dangerous relationships? You know, what's what's the the culture like around, um, you know, the quote unquote locker room talk? Is that contributing to issues like this? And so getting getting real personal, getting real deep, like what are we doing that might be contributing to this? And then how can we affect change right here and now? And so we started these youth action boards, which are student-led school clubs. So just like you can have a Spanish club, honor society, you can have all these clubs in school you can have a club that will fight human trafficking and you find a sponsor on your campus, just like you would for any other club. And you guys get together and we give you all of the material. So every document, letter, email, template, flyer, there's tons of resources. We guys, we give you everything that you need to get started, but then your club is your own. So we provide a very in-depth human trafficking training that the club goes through together. And throughout this training, we're having these pauses and discussions and asking those deeper level questions. And then from those discussions, that kind of becomes the seed for the ideas for their events for the year. And so the main goal of the club is that you do this training and get educated and then do at least one project to raise awareness in your community. Now, we have never had a club do just one because they get so excited and so invested. So some of the things that they've done are work with their sports teams to have five minutes during halftime in a game to talk about human trafficking. They've partnered with a local cookie company and they designed stickers. And then this cookie company um, put these stickers on all of their orders. They partnered with a local Chick-fil-A and for every order that went out, they put a, a little postcard with the signs to look for and the hotline for human trafficking. And so there's they've partnered with the they're like other clubs, the video, you know, visual media club to do PSAs. They've written in their school websites and on their school blogs. There's a million things that students can do. And that's the fun part is that, you know, your community, you know, what reach your peers and you have full autonomy to just run wild with it, have these great ideas. We give some guidelines, we give some, you know, some values to kind of work around. And then we're there to support to brainstorm, to troubleshoot, uh, to do anything we can to help promote their event or their work. And then on our end, we're kind of organizing other events that youth action boards can come to together. So we took our students to the Capitol in our state and let them meet their representatives. And they sat down for a good chunk of time and listened to the representatives talk about what they're doing. And then they asked, hey students, what do you think we should be doing? And they got to give input to our state legislature on what they think should be the policies we have moving forward. 
So we wanna provide these opportunities where students can engage. Another really amazing thing about this is that it obviously is gonna benefit the school, the community, people that are being trafficked, but it can benefit the student themselves. We've had our students win awards from Congress, the Office of the Governor, and we are a certifying organization with a Presidential Volunteer Service Award. So students can work toward that as well, um, which looks really good on your resumes and college applications. That's really incredible to hear all of the work that these youth action boards have been doing and also just so inspiring because I feel like I have not seen a lot of advocacy in that space. It's really great to see um, young people engaging in that. Our next question is, what are the next steps for PPOC and are there any large plans that need support? So right now, our main goal is to get these youth action boards started across the country. Um, we want to see students empowered um, in every state to use their voice to talk about the issues that are affecting them. And we want to learn from them. We want to learn, you know, what are you experiencing in high school? What is, you know, what's the online scene looking like? Are you dealing with a bunch of DMs that are, you know, causing you trouble? There's a lot of issues with sextortion that even that landscape has been changing quite a lot. So we really want to learn and collaborate with the students to make sure that the issues that we're pushing forward um, are the issues that the students recognize and care about. And so that's our main focus at this point is helping these groups get started. And a, the school is an ideal place, but it could be, you know, another kind of youth serving organization or another youth group that wants to become a youth action board. Um, that's a possibility as well. I love the idea of all that um, expansion. Actually, on that same topic, if someone wanted to start a board at their own school, how would they do that? It's a great question. So you can go to our website, projectprotectourchildren.com, and click on the Youth Action Board tab, and you'll put in your info. There's a information form on that page. You'll put that in, and you'll get some info on how to start. But what you can do is just first is find a campus sponsor. Um, right now, we have our program is designed for high school. We're launching our middle school this coming January. So by January 2024, middle school will be live. And then our college version should be ready this year as well. We want to see these started on university campuses. And so finding that campus sponsor and going through every school, every district can have a different way to start a club. But you just find the process for starting a new club on your campus. And then we'll give you the tools from there. Sounds good. Um, thank you so much for coming on Silk Circle, Krista, and look forward to hearing what your organization does. Thank you guys so much for having me. Thank you guys for the work that y'all do. It's been an honor to talk with young people that are just committed to bettering their community. So thank you for having me. Massive thank you to Krista for hopping onto the Civic Circle to talk about her experience in the human trafficking space, what role young people have to play, and what's next for PPOC. If you're interested in supporting their mission, head to projectprotectourchildren.com to learn more. It's incredibly inspiring to hear what kind of work PPOC has been doing and how the youth action boards have really been empowering so many students to use their voices and talk about these issues. I'm really excited to see what comes of their national expansion of youth action boards. We hope that today's episode gave you more insight into why human trafficking advocacy and legislation are so important in this anti-human trafficking month. Thank you for tuning in and we'll see you next time.
Thank you for listening to The Civic Circle, a podcast by the Bucks County Beacon. I've been your co-host, Alexandra, Sarah, and Mallory. The music is Bet On It by Silent Partner. For more progressive insight and analysis from Bucks County and Pennsylvania, go to www.buckscountybeacon.com. If you enjoyed this episode, don't forget to rate us and leave a review. Subscribe to us to get updates on our next episode on immigration and the growing border crisis. Follow at Bucks Co. Beacon and at Civic Circle BC on Twitter for updates.